I'm going to be returning to the Gospel of John, the third chapter, so please turn there with me. And I have some things to share with you that we don't get to hear so much in our day, and that is good news. If you were to look through your phone at the latest headlines, or if you were to turn your TV on and watch a couple of minutes of news, you might see something about the latest political gridlock, or a new scandal, or the latest about some vaccines that are being mandated and forced upon some employees and the controversy and the tensions that are arising from that, or hear or see for yourselves the evidence of worker shortage, or observe the the rising cost all around us. I was going through a drive-thru at a restaurant just yesterday, and I ordered an item on the dollar menu, and when I went to pay for it, I found out that it wasn't a dollar, it was a dollar thirty-nine. And we're seeing this, whether at the gas pump, of gas being over three dollars, and then the experts tell us that we can expect to pay significantly more to heat our homes during this winter. This morning, I want to share with you the good news from the most famous verse in all of the scriptures. It's a verse that on the Gideon Bible is printed in 27 different languages. It's John 3.16. And if this is your first Sunday with us at Highland Crest, or if it's been a while since you have been with us, Well, then you're coming in the middle of a study as we're going through the Gospel of John. And in God's providence, you are arriving on a day of which we just happen to be hitting on this verse that has been called the nutshell of the Bible. It's been called the Gospel in a verse. My guess is that over half of you have this verse memorized. And so instead of reading verse 16... I'm going to guess that a lot of our children have this memorized. And so how many of you, youth all the way down to to young children, have John 3.16 memorized? How many would you say? All right. Could I be so bold as to have you stand? And I'm just going to have you recite it for all of us to hear. I realize that it could come into some different translations. I don't know about you, Christians in this room or adults, but I love to hear the Word of God. Just, just wash over me as it is spoken. So let's just have our children quote for us John 3.16. Why don't you say it nice, slow, and deliberate. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. You may be seated. Allow me to read a few verses that follow verse 16. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light. Let his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, I think verse 16 is is very straightforward. But I am learning that what is obvious to some is not obvious to all. So what I'd like to do today is just take a very straightforward approach to explaining what John 3.16 means. This past week, I come across a summary of an article that was in a magazine. Truthfully, I haven't read it, but it's Meat and Poultry magazine. And it was an article entitled Feathers. It spoke of a device that was created many decades ago by the Federal Aviation Administration. It was a unique device to test the strength of windshields on airplanes. This device is a gun that launches dead chickens at a plane's windshield at approximately the speed that the plane flies. The theory is that if windshield doesn't crack from the carcass impact, it will survive a real collision with a bird during flight. Well, it seems as if the Brits had some interest in this, and they wanted to test this, this gun on some windshields of some speedy locomotives that they were developing. So they borrowed this FAA chicken launcher, and they loaded the chicken and fired it. The ballistic chicken shattered the windshield, broke the engineer's chair, and embedded itself in the back wall of the engine's cab. The British were stunned and asked the FAA to check the test to see if everything was done correctly. The FFA reviewed the test thoroughly and had one recommendation, four words. Use a thawed chicken. (laughs) Now, I've tried to look at the, the reliability of that story, and I can't vouch for it, but it does make a good story, doesn't it? So what I'd like us to do today is to take John 3.16 and spend some time unthawing it a bit. And let's, let's take a look at what this verse is saying to us. And I'm going to use an old outline that we learned in elementary school. It's the who, it's the what, it's the why, it's the how, and it's the when. I don't even have a printed outline for you today because I think we can all follow along with that. Let's first consider... The who. There are two different people represented here in verse 16. For God so loved the world. Let's first consider the who, and that is God. Who is God? God is not a concept, but a person. He was not created. He is without beginning. The Bible says that he is before all things. The Bible says that he is holy. Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy means that he is set apart, different, endlessly perfect. The Bible says of God that I, the Lord, do not change. He has never changed. He is all-powerful. He spoke words, and the world was created. He is all-knowing. In Isaiah 46, God says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not done yet, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. He is not 
the old man upstairs. He is spirit. He is always everywhere. He is good. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he is just. The Bible says his way is perfect. For all his ways are justice. This is God. Now let us consider the second of the who. It says, for God so loved the world. The world here is not earth. Rather, it is humanity. It is people. It's you and I. For God so loved us, people. God created the world, but he made man different than everything else. He gave man the capacity for relationships, to possess a soul that will live for eternity, and man has a rationale to determine what's good and what is wrong. And in God's love, he did not force himself upon man, but he gave man the the willing choice to whether he would reciprocate and enter into relationship with him. And he laid out for him some guidelines, how to live the most fruitful and fulfilling life, to be able to stay away from one tree. And, and God gave them that choice. And despite man owning everything, owing everything in his life, his very breath to God, he turned his back on him. And his life ever since has been in disarray. Ecclesiastes 7 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Today you and I see the effects of this. We're irritated. We're quick to anger. We're lazy, gluttons, envy. We, we worry. We possess, possess a sharp tongue that cuts people. We experience bitterness. And we seek to build our own personal kingdoms. And since God is holy, since he is good, and since he is just, this creates a problem. We read in our Bible reading this week in Habakkuk where the prophet said of God, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. God punishes evil. You know, when I was a kid, I was in an elementary school, and our teachers would often kind of hang this threat over our heads. They would say, listen, if you don't straighten up, you know where you're going? You're going to the principal's office, right? And so if a little boy or a little girl was unruly and they were acting up, And they had gone beyond all the threats. There was no other bullet in the chamber for that that teacher to exercise. They would send them down to the principal's office. And at that moment, for that little boy or that little girl that was walking down that long, cold hallway, the biggest problem in their life was the principal. Is Is that not right? Now, why was that? Because the principal was... Illogical? Because the principal was emotional? Because they were unfair? No. That principal was fair. That, that principal was going to rule in the right way. The biggest problem was is the unruliness of that child that was going down to face judgment. It could be said, don't misunderstand me, but I think it could be said, 
that man's biggest problem today is God. Is a righteous and holy, just God. Because all of us will have to answer to him. And then the Bible tells us there that the, the consequences of that, as you look a little bit further in verse 16, that they would perish. This idea of perish, if a man or a woman is left in their sin, it's a very descriptive word, is, is not just death, like once and for all, but it is in eternal death. It is one that will stay with them forever. It is a metaphor for hell. So first we have the who. And the who is this, God. And then we have the world, us. Now let us consider the what. And the what is, what did God do about this? We see here in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son. Man's greatest problem is offered God's greatest gift, his own son. And listen, God does not offer cheap gifts. He offers the best. There was an astronaut named John Glenn in 1962 as he was being loaded up in the, a rocket called the Atlas And he was being all strapped in, prepared to be launched up in the space. Sometime that followed, a reporter asked him, what was that like to be prepared to be launched up in the space there in a rocket? And John Glenn is famous for saying this, I felt exactly how you would feel if you were getting ready to be launched and you knew that you were sitting on top of two million parts, all built by the lowest bidder. On a government contract. (laughs) I got great news for you today. Is that when God looks at your dilemma. Of his justice and his holiness and your sinfulness. He has a gift for you. And that gift is not offered from the lowest bidder. There's a father and a son that are in the exchange of a heated argument. And the father says to his son. Listen, haven't I given to you everything? I mean, I've put the best clothes on your back. You have the nicest and and latest shoes. Look at the phone that you have on your hand right there. It's, It's the latest iPhone. I've put you in the most prestigious private schools. We go on on the most lavish vacations. What more could I give to you? And the son says, you know what? You have given me all this. But dad, all I really wanted was you. I wanted you. And this is what God has given to us. He has given to us the most precious possession he has, his son. It says there in verse 16 that he gave his only son. The Greek, maybe your translation says begotten. It's just the word unique. It's one of a kind. This is what God has given. God sentenced Jesus for your sin. The scripture says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Or for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you have idolatry in your heart, when you are jealous, when you have bitterness, Jesus became that for you on the cross. You broke the rules, yet Jesus was sent to the principal's office on your behalf and took your punishment. Jesus' cross was your cross. And three days later, he was raised to life. Who is God and man? What? God sent his only son, and it says here that you might have eternal or everlasting life. That you would not have to perish for eternity, but you would be able to live for eternity. And that is not activated the moment you die. It's activated the moment you become a Christian. In fact, Jesus was praying to his father in John chapter 17, and he said, and this is eternal life, that you, that they may know you. To be forgiven of our sins is to experience the everlasting life that begins the moment we are born again. This morning we heard the testimony of an 11-year-old boy who experienced that. But it's not only eternal life. Can we just review verses 17 and 18? It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen, loved one. Jesus was not sent here to condemn you of your sin. Why? Because our own hearts condemn us already. Our conscience bears witness that we have broken God's law. And we need a Savior that will deliver us from the sin and the consequences of the sin. i got great news for you. You do not need to live under condemnation anymore. Jesus has bore that condemnation. He has bore your sin. That's the who. That's the what. And now let me get to the why. The why. You see it there in verse 16, don't you? For God so loved the world. What is God's motives for sending this great, most precious gift to you? In a word, it's love. If you don't hear one more word through this whole message, if you only take a few words from this whole message, please take these three words. God loves you. But it's not just empty words. It's it's packed with action of which he sent his son to die for you. He loves you. He's not only holy, he's not only unchanging, he's not only powerful, he's all-knowing, always everywhere, wise, good, and just, but he also is love, according to 1 John chapter 4. Karl Barth, a famous theologian, was, was on a traveling tour here in America many, many years ago. And someone came up to him and asked him, what is the most profound thought that has ever entered your mind? And after a brief moment of reflection, Bart replied, the most profound thought that I've ever known is the simple truth. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
John 3.16, as well as the whole Bible, is a love story. God looks at you in your sin, observes that you are on a freight train towards judgment, and he sends his son to stand in the way of that train that you might be declared righteous. God loves you. God loves you. That's the who. That's the how. That's the why. Now let us consider the how. How is it? How is it that you could experience this eternal life? You see it again there in verse 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First, let us consider the word whoever. This verse has been distorted over the years as if to be expanded for everyone who is ever born, they will be going to heaven when they die. But you will notice that there is a qualifying word here. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for everyone's sins. But it says here in verse 16, it's those for who believe. Whoever believes in the hymn should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what does this word believe mean? It means to commit to, to place confidence in. It's one thing to think that a parachute would save you, but it's another thing to actually get into an airplane and go out the side and and truly trust in a parachute to save you from death. It's one thing to, to build a deck on the back of your house and say, you know, that looks stable, but it's another thing to actually walk out onto that floor and as a family have supper and put all of your weight on it. This is what it means to believe. To place all of your being, not on your own works, not on any religious activity, but completely on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Three days later, raised from the dead. Billy Graham used to tell a story of a little boy in London who got lost. And the police went up to this little boy and says, where, where are your parents? Where is your home? He said, I, I don't know. Well, we have a big bridge. Is it by the big bridge? No, no, it's not by the bridge. We have a massive clock tower. Is it, is it by the clock tower? No, 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 it's not by the clock tower. Well, downtown there's a huge church that has this massive cross. Is it by the cross? Oh, yes, it's by the cross. Take me to the cross. There is my home. And for a Christian, the cross and what Jesus has done for us is our identity. It is our home. It's where we were forgiven of our sins. And the empty tomb proves that this faith of ours is alive and active. So how? It means to place your faith completely in what Jesus has done. You heard from that little boy's testimony today. It's not only about believing, but it's about repenting. It's saying, listen, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to follow Jesus in his ways for my life. That leads me to finally, when? When? When will you do this? When will you place your faith in Christ to save you from your sins? Like the garden, God is not forcing himself upon you this morning. 
but the invitation is available to you. I remember when I was in third grade, I lived in this little Minnesota community. And there in the Midwest, we loved these big snowstorms that would come in in the schoolyard. And a big snowstorm would come in, and the plow would move all of that into a big mountain of snow. And we would love to play King of the Mountain with all my friends, and we'd dig tunnels into this big hill of snow. And I can remember two different people in my class in third grade. One was this cute little girl named Tanya, and there was another named Bobby. And Bobby was born on the other side of the tracks, a little rough on the edges. And one day, there on that big mountain of snow, Bobby kissed Tanya on the cheek. Now, he had a crush on Tanya, but Tanya had nothing to do with Bobby. And there in third grade, our class was outraged. Why? Because he had defied the laws of love as much as a third grader could understand. And that is this. Love has to be mutual. You can't just force yourself onto another person, and that's what Bobby had done. We knew enough that that was not right. And let me tell you something. God is not doing that to you this morning, today. There is an invitation for you to be forgiven of your sins. But if you want to remain in your sins, you can do that. Why would someone choose to remain in their sins? Do you know the Bible is a unique book? It is unlike any other book in the world. We not only read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. And the answer for that question, why someone would reject God, is not an intellectual argument. Rather, look with me again at verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light of the gospel, the light of John 3.16 goes forward that God so loves you that you don't need to remain in your sins. You can be saved from a life and an eternity of perishing. You can have an eternal life. The light goes forward. But there were some that say, I love my sin more than that light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and has not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But there is another way, loved ones. Look at verse 21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Aren't you tired of living in the darkness? Why don't you come to the light? Why don't you receive this good news that's not only for all of the world, but it's for you. It's specifically for you this morning. Why don't you receive it today? When? When would you do this? How about right now? God so loves you that he gave his one and only son, that if you would believe in him, you don't have to perish, but you could have eternal life. As Scott and Miss Jean and the music team get ready to come, you know what I want to do today? Let's just do an old-fashioned invitation to the altar.
If you have never trusted Christ to save you from your sins, you certainly don't need a pastor to do that. You just call out, God, save me. I want to be saved. I turn from my sins. But I would be happy to greet you right here and, and, and answer any questions you have, pray with you over that. And Maybe you would be honest enough to say, I believe I have done that. But as I listen to this verse here about the light, I'm not sure that I've been allowing that light to shine as brightly in my life as it ought to. You know what I need to do? I need to come at this altar. And I need to pray, God, help that light to take more of a root in my life. Maybe you're here and you have some loved ones. You yourself have received this gift, but you are burdened for your neighbor. You are burdened for your children, your grandchildren, your mom or dad or your sibling. You say, you know what I want to do today is I just want to pray. I want to pour out my heart for their souls that they would not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you join me? And let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great verse that as it is opened up and unfolded for us, thawed out, that it can be clear that you love people, whether on audio, whether in video, or whether here in person, your love goes out. And Father, I pray that people would turn from their sins right now place their faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done alone for them on the cross, that they would have the joy of a life full here and a life full in eternity. Oh, we pray for you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this great song about that cross. And you come and pray if you'd like. I'd pray for you here if you have any questions or if you want to be born again. Why don't you come during this time? And Father, we, we are grateful uh, for the word that was shared today. We've seen it not only in the scriptures, but we, we saw evidence of it in, in young, a young person's life of how he's put this into practice. He's, he said, I've trusted Christ. I, I've been born again. And I want everyone to know about that. So I pray, Lord, for you to draw those here in our room that are not Christians. It's possible they've, they've prayed a prayer, but they're, they're being convinced today that they're, they're not really a follower of yours. There's a great comfort that we can have in hearing a message like this to be reminded that it isn't based on what we do but it's what you've done and so I would ask each of you this morning what are you trusting in what are you depending on for your eternal life are you trusting entirely on what Jesus has done if so what great confidence and hope you have If there is anything else, then I urge you to call out that he would save you and bring evidence of that in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.